Welcome to Revved Up for Sunday, everyone. We are the clergy of St. Mark's Episcopal Church, and we're welcoming back our rector, Peter, who's been gone for four and a half months, five months, and we're so pleased you're back. Um, we've had a great time with Rob Schwartz, uh, and we're, you know, here we are, back to the old days. So I'm Elizabeth Garnsey. I'm Peter Walsh. I'm John Kennedy. And we are at Advent 3 this Sunday, and we're reading from the first chapter of John. And we get a little echo from last week uh, where we had Mark's story of John the Baptist. So buckle your seatbelts for repeat with a twist. Here we go. This is John 1, 6 to 8, 19 to 28. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Mm -hmm. And I guess I just want to start with a thanks be to God uh, to you too and to Rob who's now uh, behind the camera, but you all know him from being in front of the camera. And I just want to say thanks in particular to you, Rob, for all your time uh, in front of the camera and to say how great you are uh, and how great you were doing it. And I know you'll be back. Uh, I super enjoyed listening to you and I love the way you ended the last podcast with one. Uh, I, I don't agree with the one greater than I is coming, but I really did appreciate the, uh, I don't want to touch his sandals comment. And that was good. I was actually trying to add up how many miles one on my sandals uh, <laughs> while I was away and it's yeah it's in it's way way up there I'm up around 80,000 miles That's on incredible. sandals I mean that includes wow. plane flights of course yeah but uh, a lot to say about sandals on another Wild. time mm. yeah. so uh, yeah I'm, I'm four and a half months uh, off from talking into a microphone here and delighted to be back and thanks uh, thanks for having me back in the chair uh, and it's very interesting I've had an, an amazing intense engagement with uh, with meditation and mm. quiet and with, with great spiritual teachers, uh, some of whom are quite far away and around the world. And now this causes me to plunge back in in a very a deeper way and more intentional way back into the scriptures. And when I, when I first launched back into this passage from last week uh, and now this passage, you know, I, I, all I could think of was in our world today where we have so much question about identity and, and uh, even the phrase identity politics, 
politics, which did not exist when I was a boy, at least uh, mm -hmm. that I knew of, mm -hmm. we have ourselves a serious and significant identity story here yeah. uh, where we have uh, who is Jesus, uh, who is John the Baptist, and ultimately who are we uh, mm -hmm. in this whole, the whole of the story here. And not only do we have that, but we have it in John's gospel, packaged in John's gospel, uh, which is, of course, so different than the conversation you guys had last week when you were talking about the packaging, right. gospel packaging that you get in Mark and in John's gospel. You get something that really, really does feel like, if you want to put that lens on, you want to put those glasses on, a trial, that mm -hmm. Jesus is on trial, uh, always having to defend his personhood, who he is, and what his mission is, and his chief witness is John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. And so off we get, with the whole story begins with the word witness. There's nothing in here, or little in here, about all the reverberations of other Johns, but the word witness is used 33 times in John's Gospel, and mm -hmm. only twice in the other Mm -hmm. Wow. And the other Gospels. And so, and we have testimony, we have all this legal language mm -hmm. uh, because it's Jesus who's on trial. Right. And John's wow. the guy who's the first guy up in the seat. Mm -hmm. This um, John passage is quite a departure from the way Mark tells it mm -hmm. um, to the point where the identity of John according to the telling, we're, he's not so much John the Baptist here, he's John the witness. Ah, yeah, and I think yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the emphasis is far more upon that than it is on his baptizing until we get to the reference at the end of this passage. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, I find John such an interesting character in, in every depiction we get of him in the Gospels because he is, um, he is a somebody, you know, so much so that uh, Josephus, the great Jewish historian of this, you know, rough period, wrote more about John the Baptist than about Jesus. John the Baptist was mm -hmm. an incredibly charismatic and consequential figure, and people were drawn to him as they are to um, charismatic um, holy men and women, and he could have very well launched his own Messiah movement. He could have very well read the signs, if you will, of him being sort of given this, this fire in, uh, in his being uh, that, that people were drawn to as a, as, as a sign that he's, he's the guy, and he says, I'm not the guy. It's amazing. At the mm -hmm. height of his popularity, he says, this is not mm -hmm. my show. Mm -hmm. I'm not the one that you really should be paying attention to. I'm not the one you should be devoted to. Um, this, is about, this is about somebody else. It's an amazing thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. he is, you're right. He's absolutely enormous. Mm -hmm. uh, he is a problem for uh, the religious authorities in Jesus' day, and he's a major problem for the early church. Yeah. And the right. early That's church true. spends a lot of ink mm -hmm. making this guy smaller than Jesus. Yeah. Uh, he, they really do. And I also say that I think the lectionary does some pretty odd things. We have four Sundays in Advent, and uh, of course, <laughs> I, I don't get a vote, but I don't actually like how Advent begins. I don't like that it begins with the end of time and the end of the world. I don't think that's the right spot to begin. We, Mary gets one Sunday out of four, and John gets two. So, I mean, I'd much rather slice, you know, sort it out two and two. For sure, uh, yeah. But we get John is a problem for for the early church. And I mean, we know even today there's a, a sect called the Mandeans who mm -hmm. still follow John as the last and greatest prophet. There's something like 60 to 80,000 Mandeans uh, in the world today. They used to be mostly a Middle Eastern sect. 
uh, and uh, Islamic extremism and life in Iran and Iraq hasn't been so well, so their numbers are, are way down. And some of them, actually, there's a Mandean group in Brooklyn, I think. Uh, and so there's 60 to 100,000 100, people still following John the Baptist yeah. as the guy. Wow, amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, well, John, you know, I mean, I think the early church does, or these these writers make him, or maybe they're making him small, but he himself in this exchange, if we just stay in the story of John, he goes to great pains to say who he is not. Mm -hmm. You know, he knows who he is not as much as he knows who he is. And there's a significant um, play on the word, as we know in this gospel of John, every word counts, every word is on purpose, and many of the words have double or triple Intention, intention yeah. right? So there's no accidents here. And um, the fact that he says, I am not, is the opposite of Jesus later saying, I am, I am, mm. I am. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. And um, James Allison points out that when John the Baptist is saying, I am the voice cry of one crying in the wilderness, the Greek actually, you know, jo- uh, James Allison says, the translation gives us the correct English, not the significant English in this instance. Because the Greek does not have the the verb I am. So it just says, I, voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So it's like he's saying, I make straight the way of the Lord. I, the voice. So he's I, not... I, the voice, make straight the way of the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. He's, he's removing like obstacles for people to mm-hmm. enter in the promised land. And, you know, here we have him... It says at the end, this took place in Bethany across the Jordan. So John has taken himself outside the promised land to baptize and sort of make way, a new way in to the promised land. And so he's, you know, and, and just to add to this interesting exchange, that is a passage from Isaiah, I think. Um, and in this legal sense, witnesses, you had to have two witnesses to make your testimony true. Ah, so... Yeah. One um, mm-hmm. so one supposition is that Isaiah is the first witness in John. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to, oh, that's super interesting. I thought yeah. you were going to go to a different way with that, which is, I mean, there's no punctuation in the Greek, but mm-hmm. in Isaiah, I mean, there's a, di- the voice of one crying in the wilderness make his path straight, uh, or the, the voice crying in the wilderness make the path straight. Yeah. So it's the voice in the wilderness or it's the path. Right. Yeah, and so there's, uh, but you, I mean, we all know that the way these, these Hebrew scriptures are, are remounted in the New Testament witness, mm-hmm. uh, there's a certain flexibility. Yeah, used. and they, they, they're employed to serve the Yeah, employed the to use the story. So, right. yeah. Yeah, but, right. yeah, but I think in John, it is significant on purpose that it's not saying I am. Because, because Jesus is the one who... Is and I always am. is and yeah. always was. Yeah, I am. So for John, he's he's the voice, but not in oh, that sense that I super am. Super interesting. So yeah, I found that incredibly compelling because John is expressly not competing with Jesus, and he's mm-hmm. definitely not setting himself as uh, up as one to be mistaken for the Messiah. And people project that onto him. Um, and you know, the um, Meister Eckhart, I think, said I had I wrote this down somewhere, but. Barbara Brown Taylor quotes him. I couldn't find the quote, but um, Meister Eckhart said, God is found in the soul, not by adding anything, but by subtracting. Right. And, um, you know, John the Baptist here is, he's not the Messiah. He's not the prophet. He's, he's this voice. Mm-hmm. And um, he, his whole purpose is to make a way, make a way in. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, that connects so beautifully to, 
Peter, what you were saying about identity, questions of identity, um, questions of identity in John's gospel and questions of identity in our time. Now, uh, John, his example, certainly as he appears in this gospel, is one of becoming less so he can become, so Christ can become greater, so the light can become greater, um, which is uh, uh, not found in this particular passage, but but isn't far away in John's text. And there's something I've wrestled with a lot uh, in my adult spiritual life, uh, because that sensibility is the bullseye for me. It's, as, it's what I understand um, the spiritual life to be about. <laughs> and we live in a time where there's so much emphasis on identity and some of it seems justified and even necessary, but nonetheless, sometimes I wonder how happy it's making anybody, <laughs> you know? Mm, um, interesting. And that we have a particular role to play as witnesses to some other way, which doesn't necessarily negate um, justified and, and perhaps necessary you know, naming and claiming of, of certain identities, but um, might suggest that that's not the end game, that there's something mm-hmm. more. There's something more that we're all called to. Um, it's delicate, for sure, to, to undertake something like that wisely and, and lovingly, but nonetheless, it is something that I think about and something that I think that the church should be thinking about. Yeah, interesting. When I was uh, particularly in India uh, with my friend Chris Ahrens, uh, and I, I spent an hour or two a day discussing uh, a particular probing spiritual issues in, in my life and eventually in some in Chris's life, and uh, it was about a thing that, that Buddhism and the Dalai Lama, a particular name called cognitive reframing, which is how how do we think about uh, different issues? And it's a very important aspect in, 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 in Buddhism is how do you think about these things? And, and I was thinking a lot about identity, and I was noting that, uh, or, or it, what became super clear to me was that there was three places from which identity might, we might find our, our primal identities. And the first, uh, 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 the first might be in that nexus point of nature and nurture that comes together uh, to form who we are, both how we, how we are by nature, who we are in the household of our nurture. The second being from the world, who does the world say who we are? And the third being, uh, in my language, you know, in the interior cave where you sit inside with Jesus, the, the identity you find uh, looking face to face with your Lord who's praying the, the light in you as you're the light in him. And, and I would say that third identity, uh, the, these are, there's an intersectionality to use the term that we use now about identity uh, of all these identities, but where's the primal identity here? Mm-hmm. And the primal identity yeah. for us, I, yeah. you know, we would all argue is, is in the, you know, the contemplative inner cave with Jesus. Uh, that's where you d- discover your identity. That's where you discover those who believe in the John's gospel, those who believe in his name might have a full life in him. That's the very purpose of the gospel is this identity, mm-hmm. this life right. that you get in Jesus. But I, the, I, back to the identity moment of John the Baptist, you know, I always love it when you bring up James Allison. And I mean, what a brilliant, 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 I don't know how many brilliance I can uh, uh, size up to or add up to, to describe what he has to say to us. But there is no question that John the Baptist 
uh, in his identity had to be in the wilderness. The wilderness is the place of preparation. He's not in the temple. He's not on the street corner. He has to be in the wilderness uh, there. And, you know, last week you're talking about his clothing. He, he has to wear those clothing so that everybody knows who he is. This is his identity. And he has to be at the Jordan River. There isn't a thing of importance in the Hebrew scriptures that happens without the Jordan River. And, and it is the liminal space from one movement to the mm-hmm. next. And mm-hmm. the question of Bethany beyond the Jordan, I, I mean, we were there the last year in the, in, the, uh, uh, in the pilgrimage. We went to Bethany beyond the Jordan to the, uh, to the site, that, uh, the World Heritage Site for that, and phenomenal. We got to be there by ourselves, which was amazing. In the, I mean, the, the, the river is about 12 feet wide, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we were able to, to dunk ourselves to some degree in the river. But that, uh, you know, there is no Bethany that they can find in, in Bethany's right. up, as you know, near, near, uh, near Jerusalem. Yeah. Um, but there is a map in Madaba in Jordan that there, where there could be this, this mistaken word Bethany. But clearly uh, he is outside mm-hmm. yeah. the temple authority world. He is, he is, he is from the contemplative zone. Right. He's not from Origen the, said right. that, like, he, he yeah. thought it was some form of the Hebrew Bethe Bara that was, like, a place of the crossing or a place of the passage. Oh, interesting. And yeah. that this was a highly significant shoot word choice, of course, for John, because yeah. it's, you know, this idea of passing back through. Well, it's the only, it's the only gospel where the whereabouts of, 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 of John the Baptist on the Jordan is named. Oh, wow. That's the only spot. Mm-hmm. All the times we get in the mm-hmm. Jordan, in the Jordan, in the Jordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so on the Israeli side, they have a place where where they might venerate this, where Christians might venerate this. But the world says, no, no, no. In John's gospel, it says Bethany beyond the Jordan. That mm-hmm. means it's on the Jordanian side. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, in terms of this knowing who, he, you know, this identity that you're talking about. I mean, it's our, our life quest is sort of to find our true selves, to try and find our identities mm-hmm. and ultimately, hopefully find them in, in God. And I think part of that with John the Baptist, I mean, he gets two Sundays in Advent, I guess, preparing the way is to know, like John, know who we are not, you know? And um, <laughs> that's a big exercise in it itself, especially yeah. as church people or, you know, helpers who think we can be all things to all people. And, mm. You know, we really have to know who we're not in mm-hmm. order to point the way mm-hmm. to Jesus. And I think yeah. one of the great things about John the Baptist is he consistently points beyond yes. himself. Um, and it's it's so beautifully done here. And um, maybe I'm just repeating what we've already said, but I think it's just worth emphasizing that for us, there's a real teaching in that that we often forget. You know, we... we, we David Bartlett was my homiletics professor at Yale, and he said he said something like, um, "When the church uh, can become more comfortable with its loss of authority, or its sort of disappearing authority, mm-hmm. we'll be much more at ease pointing the way to Jesus." Yeah. That's oh nice. wow, that's beautiful. And it's true. Thank yeah. You. What a beautiful teacher. Yeah, because the authority of Christ just transcends all of our institutional trappings. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, amen to that. I really do think there is an opportunity with the the diminution of of the church's relevance, yeah. <laughs> stability, right in our time and our culture to yeah. better um, be able to receive and proclaim the light, mm-hmm. um, better be able to receive and, and proclaim Jesus, because yeah, you know, I mean, 
to witness to the light, we have to be able to see the light ourselves. And my experience of the institutional church so far is that I'm not sure how well it collectively sees the light. It's, um, I think, very often, as it seems to me, distracted by, we might say blinded by, other much more mundane, temporal things such as, um, you know, the same run-of-the-mill stuff that human beings writ large are preoccupied with, especially when they're involved in institutions, um, you know, prestige, reputation, self-perpetuation, and... um, that really puts us at such a disadvantage because it means that we can't actually do our job <laughs> mm-hmm. and we forget what our job is. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons, Peter, why I'm, why I'm so excited that you're back with the, the renewal that your sabbatical has brought is that this is a gift to all of us here. Mm. Um, you've been clear on this stuff for a very long time, but, but to have been able to, to take the time and the journey, um, like, wow, wow. Um, so I, I, I just, you know, uh, thank you, first of all, for, for, the, for the way that you spent your sabbatical, because it, it really is. I, it's already yeah. a gift to me. Oh, thank um, you for saying so, because it was a total blast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, you know, John, it's interesting on that front. I, I think that one of the things I was renewed in and, and almost a, a born again in was uh, the experience, uh, gifted experiences that I received of, 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 of the being of God. And, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and to say that the divine as, as the divine is so beyond our, our little, little occupations of it. And, uh, you know, Martin Smith, the former, uh, uh, head of the society of St. John the Evangelist used to say that, 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 that was kind of like going to the Niagara Falls with a, with a Dixie cup and trying to catch a little bit of it, but it blows the cup out of your hand. And, and that the, the divine as, as the being, uh, as eternal being and as, uh, divine love and knowing that we are loved in the eternal being is so transcends the smallness uh, and the shadows of, with which we we live that uh, our words are unable to catch you know Wittgenstein saying our words are, are too small but if we don't have words we can't know the experiences and that that when you take somebody like John the Baptist I, I mean this is the thing that I that, that happened when I was able to have my visitation with with um, with his holiness the dalai lama and and as i mentioned to some of you in uh, in the sermon that that john the, ba- the the dalai lama i experienced as a mountain of a himalayan mountain of silence mm-hmm. he'd spent five hours of day his life in silence he's 88 years old he started probably when he was five and and that when you when he vibrates at a very different level and when i knelt before him i felt i felt um this energy come out of him that 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 mm. that sh- that that um, that was like I was shot in reverse by the power of spiritual silence, and I I was, bam! I was quieted. I was almost like shut up. I, I don't mean that in a rough way. I mean I was shocked into silence by His Holiness. He's perfectly named uh, His Holiness, though he does have another name. Uh, and uh, and that that is what we're talking about with John the Baptist. We're talking mm-hmm. about a man who had such spiritual power from being in the desert for so long as a contemplative, as a man of silence, that his vibratory life was so powerful, so full of God, that it was shocking to people, and they, they came to him, which is what happens 
to the Dalai Lama, people pouring from all over the world. He literally is a spiritual treasure. But if you talk to what he has to say, you know, he and what he has to say about about Jesus, it is always the same thing that he is as of nothing compared to uh, the great um, bodhisattvas, mm-hmm. you know, the Buddha and Jesus, and and he would add Krishna to that too. These these great spiritual lights, and that he's just he's just another guy. He's just mm-hmm. one of of all these yeah. one of all of these human beings, and I think that's. Uh, it's reminiscent of, of what we're talking about with John the Baptist is he had that spiritual power, but he had that power to know that there were greater powers yeah. and that Jesus yeah. is the greater power. The divine is the greater power. Mm-hmm. And that's how he can say, I can't even get down on my knee and untie the thong of his sandal. Yeah. When that was below what Hebrew slaves could do. Mm-hmm. I mean, they would give that mm-hmm. to slaves from other countries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other, yeah. so, I mean, he's wow. that Beautiful. powerful. I came across another reference to the sandal that um, it, Again, James Allison. Sorry, everyone. I do read other things, but <laughs> no, just he has keep so reading much to that. say. Just keep reading. I know. Just keep reading. Uh, he that that in the ancient world, if if a if a man died childless, his brother could take his wife and bear children on his behalf, bear offspring. But if that man refused the duty, the person who took it up would untie the sandal, his sandal, and so it, this could be a reference to the coming bridegroom. Oh. You know, and all that we're going to see yeah, cool. in the preparation That's of the marriage one. supper of the lamb. Yeah, yeah. You know, so again, in John, you have to give that some some thought because yeah. he doesn't Fantastic. accidentally use an image like that. No, no, I've never heard that before. I know it was fascinating. I, I think it's probably somewhere in Leviticus or somewhere, but we'll have yeah. to, I'll have to look into that. But I thought that was an incredible mm-hmm. uh, side reference. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, thanks. I, I think we, we could um, go on for many, many hours yeah. on this rich, rich passage and uh, hate to cut short, but if anyone, anyone have a last word or should we wrap it up for today? Thanks for joining us. We're so glad you're back, Peter, and we're excited to continue on this path together. But um, join us in church on Sunday, everyone. And please, if you feel so inclined, leave us a voicemail. We love to hear your feedback and your challenges and your questions and your engagement. And that number is 203-442-5002. So call us up, tell us what you think, and we'll see you in church and a blessed, holy continuation of Advent. (laughs) Oh, 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 oh,